go hello 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 ladies and gentlemen boys and girls welcome to vux world where i am your host kane sims as always and as always we will have an epic conversation today about the future of ai powered customer experience and um, before we get into that, and uh, before we welcome our guest today, who is a CEO of UJet, Anand Jalifalkar, and UJet have got some immense uh, traction over the last couple of uh, years, I would say, uh, making some really big waves in the contact center and customer experience space, uh, partnership with Google, CCAI, and uh, you know, got a real good overview of all of the trends, emerging trends in customer experience automation. And so we'll definitely get into, into that. But before we do that, a shout out to our presenting sponsors today on VOX World, that is Deepgram and Symbol AI. So if you are, which I'm sure you are, because most of the people that listen to this podcast are in a position where they are creating conversational applications on a regular basis, chatbots, voice bots, and things like that. One of the biggest trends in that space is the creation of voice assistants and voice capabilities for call centers. And if you are doing that, you need the right kind of technology. And Deepgram provide a really crucial component to that, which is the automatic speech recognition part. Speech recognition, if you don't get that right, then what you're feeding into the rest of your model is rubbish. (laughs) So you need to get the speech recognition element right. With Deepgram, you can actually customize and retrain those models to make it really specific for your domain, which means that if you work in banking or insurance or finance or retail, then how people talk about your products and services is going to be different depending on the industry that you're in. The ability to customize that speech recognition model is absolutely crucial. There's a whole bunch of other features that Deepgram have. Uh, it's very cost effective. It is very highly accurate. And so if you are in the market for speech recognition, do check out deepgram.com forward slash VUX world. Our other sponsor is Symbol AI, which I would say has some of the most impressive technology that I've probably ever seen. It is absolutely amazing. Uh, You can see just how easy it is to add simple but powerful call coaching and agent assist functionality, call tracking functionality uh, to your customer experience solutions with Symbol AI. It's got customizable APIs. It's conversational intelligence, essentially. You can use it in calls. You can use it in videos. You can use it on text conversations. And it is literally best-in-class contextual AI and you can get it up and running in no time. And you can get started for free by going to symbol.ai, S-Y-M-B-L dot A-I. Some of the stuff that Symbol is able to create or enables you to create because ultimately the power is in your hands is absolutely immense. You can get to data within conversations that you didn't even know existed. Things like being able to do outbound dialing, detect voicemails, recognize when a beep in a voicemail has occurred to be able to leave a pre-recorded answer for a message or to be able to escalate to an agent when someone actually picks up. That sounds really trivial, but the amount of organizations that spend a hell of a lot of money on outbound dialing just to try and get voicemails and, 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 and you know people that don't pick up or recognize when to transfer a call to an agent is unbelievable and being able to automate that is absolutely crucial. Uh, automatic transcripts of conversations, summarization of, con- of conversations, uh, stripping out action points and stuff like that for meetings and stuff like that, building your own agent assist capabilities that rolls up Nespex actions and all that kind of stuff for agents in the contact center uh, dashboard. It's, it's absolutely impressive stuff. So do check out symbol.ai, S-Y-M-B-L.ai, if you want to explore the value of conversational intelligence for your business. Now, Without further ado, I'm sure we'll touch on some of this stuff in today's conversation with the CEO and founder of UJet, Anand Jalifalka. Ja Anand, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure. UJet is on an absolute mission, I would say. It's making some real big waves. It's kind of like, you know, always up there and cited. If you look at any publications of contact center leaders and cloud contact center and customer experience leaders and stuff like that, UJet's always there. And you're kind of doing pretty well. So congrats on the success and thank you for thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad that we're uh, kind of finally seeing the traction that in terms of uh, the the audience that we want to reach, um, we, we started off uh, pretty stealthily. And um, the reason for that was we wanted to take a, uh, a subset of our addressable market and really go deep into all of the operational aspects and not just the, the marketing and selling motions of it. So we stayed a little bit quiet in the early years, but uh, now that we have a lot of conviction as well as uh, case studies about the success with our customers, we are amplifying that quite a bit. And uh, thank you for, for this platform to do, continue to do that. 
No worries, no worries. So, so where did, where did it start? Well, first of all, actually, maybe let's explain for people what UJet is and what um, yeah. and what it does. That's probably a better place to to begin. Yeah, so UJet is a uh, an end to end contact center uh, customer experience platform. Um, I know the the definition of customer experience has been uh, uh, been changing over the years, and rightfully so. But essentially, whenever a company needs to communicate with uh, their customers, whether these are customers that they're potential customers, they're trying to uh, sell new services, or all the way to retaining them and providing them value, as well as providing them accurate ways to utilize the platform and uh, the different features of it, that's where UJIT comes into play. Uh, we take deep, deep uh, looks into what the three user sets that formulate this uh, customer experience equation uh, are looking for. So what the end user, the agent or the advocate, uh, whether it's virtual agent or human agent, and then finally the contact center stakeholders, which include the directors, supervisors, as well as the IT team. So that is what UJIT does is um, kind of formulates this end-to-end hyper personalized experience for for our customers and uh, we'll we'll obviously get more into it as we as we speak mm, definitely definitely so where did it come from then where where did how did you kind of yeah where did where, where did it all come from and how did you create it i suppose is is uh following on from that yeah uh so i had a little bit of a different journey i've been told than than folks that typically get into the sector um i was always fascinated with wireless communications uh, there's uh, there's this particular event of uh, watching uh, a movie with a car phone and uh, in those days cardless phones that uh, particularly piqued my interest and um, I very early on decided that I'm gonna I want to build, build these devices so it went from cordless phones car phones to the cellular phones and what is today the smartphone so I uh, did my master's in telecommunications uh, researched at some of the top companies uh, at least in those days and then uh, spent a long time at Motorola uh, building uh, 3G devices as well as the infrastructure that feeds into them um, what I figured out as I went through that journey and a couple of other companies that I worked uh, for after that is that the world is experiencing a tremendous macro shift uh, and people are starting to communicate visually and contextually. They're not looking at these connection points which were limited by the devices, right? The phone was typically just a phone and just did audio. The, the pager was just a notification system for most of the time with the limited responses. And then uh, the chat was really localized to your, to your desktop browser. Uh, with the shift into smartphones, what I saw is that people are very uh, just naturally communicating visually and contextually. And uh, when, I, when I thought about start, I was always very entrepreneurial and wanted to start my own thing. And when I thought about a major problem that I face, which you can uh, probably empathize with the spelling of my last name, it's, it's very difficult to spell on a customer support call to get a return email. Um, and it's none of the agent's fault, and we'll get into how we solve that. Uh, but also that the only time two humans communicate uh, in a non-visual and non-contextual manner was customer support. So I felt that despite not having the typical journey going into the contact center world, um, I felt that I had the bits and elements of what the modern communication between humans and human interaction a future looks like. Uh, and and that, that was it. Uh, that's when I decided to start UJet. And uh, we have a very different take on what just conversations mean. Um, a lot of times in our sector, conversations typically mean just uh, speaking to each other. But if you really, really delve deep into it, right? I mean, you and I are talking and um, let's say we're talking as friends or family. We, a lot of times today, take for granted the the tools that are at our disposal when we're communicating through our smartphones. A lot of times we'll share our reservation, we'll share our location, we'll share photos and videos, we'll take a, uh, just um, some metadata that might be a copy paste from uh, one of the apps that we're using and we send to each other. So conversations have evolved and they're no longer just audio. Um, and it's, it's natural, right? Because we, we communicate, interact with, with all of our senses, uh, um, uh, the speech, audio, visuals, touch, and all of that. And I think that's gonna keep evolving. So uh, what, what, what we really over-indexed on is how do we provide that multi-dimensional and fluid omni-channel experience to mimic a little bit more of how we interact in real life, 
because what we felt is the recipe for disaster for a lot of times why customer support and agents kind of get uh, dinged for is that you're taking those two humans, one is frustrated or flustered or anxious uh, because something is not working in a product, a bill is not being paid properly or there's charges that they don't recognize. And then the agent that is on the other side and this person has already gone through the chat bus and find a way to escape those to talk to a live person because they're frustrated <laughs> and anxious. And then you're taking that agent which uh, in normal life is communicating visually and contextually and right now just has uh, the has to deal with the the anger and sentiment of that particular uh, customer. So we felt that providing that tool, providing that multidimensional just uh, ability to understand what the issue is, what led to this, what is the metadata, what can they capture and put in that customer record, which is auditable, and then provide a solution for that, whether it's a refund, whether it's a return label for a shipping package, and so on and so forth. So that is where um, I felt there was uh, really a big, big opportunity, and I did not see anyone kind of going there because at the, the backgrounds for how people are evolving into it are very different. So mm -hmm. I think some shape or form, um, the, the journey and experience uh, of the products that I've worked on in the past uh, kind of led me to, to taking this to this sector and um, helping ensure that uh, we're not just dinging people just because they are in the position that they are, but we're providing them all of the ammunition and uh, experience that they deserve to solve the problem effectively. Mm, interesting. And you do have a unique approach to that kind of like you mentioned there, conversations changing mm -hmm. over time. And you're right, you know, like if, if I was going to meet my wife or whatever somewhere, nine times out of 10, I'll, I'll send a snapshot of the map where I'm at rather than trying to text exactly my location and stuff like that. So, so I wonder if you can talk around a little bit of some of the experiences that you jet enables. Cause I know that you do have a, a tightly knit kind of mobile, kind of like mobile and contact center kind of like work together in harmony and so that's so I'm wondering if you might be able to give us an example of some of the use cases that that clients are, are enabling with um with UJet. Totally. And and that's that's exactly right, right? When when you are interact with friends and family, you're you're very digitally acquainted. You have gotten used to certain interactions that you just kind of take for granted, right? And uh, a lot of times and this goes back into the the connection points argument where um, the, the evolution of conversations and the evolution of the contact center, a lot of times, yes, we're going towards the uh, understanding what the sentiment and what the voice is saying. However, the metadata is extremely powerful. I would say that is an extrapolation of the age old saying that a picture speaks a thousand words, uh, but the metadata adds to that. And um, so what, uh, what we see is, and I'm sure uh, you can relate to this, is that uh, End users are connecting to products and services through different connection points. A lot of times it's through the app. And there's a reason why uh, travel companies give you three, three X points when you go through a mobile uh, app as opposed to just their desktop browser. It's because they can get more information and they can more uh, personalize and curate their journey uh, for you. At, at least that's what they say. Um, and uh, so the connection points have evolved from just uh, picking up the phone and calling to going through the, the experience through the app uh, or pulling up a mobile browser or desktop browser and then going through that experience or just knowing that there's a phone number, whether you're going to your favorite search engine and looking for a, a connection point or it's the number at the back of your credit card or the number on the box of the drone that you purchased and just calling in. What we believe is that these three different connection points uh, do not need to be distinctly different in terms of their experiences. People are expecting the same smartphone era experience regardless of where they're connecting from. So we have a very uh, tightly knit, so we have iOS and Android SDKs that sit within uh, the client company's uh, app. Um, that way, you, you're not suddenly going from uh, an interaction with the app and getting thrown into something that you may not recognize or or, or really uh, trust to, to have uh, a conversation and provide any uh, personal information on there. So they're very tightly knit. Think of this as mobile banking, right? When you're in mobile banking today, people are very much used to taking a picture of a check and depositing this. This is a very sensitive information. It has your account number. It has your name. It has your address. It has... The, the money aspect involved. And we've gotten really used to those things because we know that that 
uh, mobile check deposit picture stays within that app is just directly going from your app encrypted into uh, a system on the back end. It doesn't even uh, go to your uh, camera uh, or camera roll. So, so it's it's that tightly knit of uh, an iOS and Android SDK, and those stay within the confines of that app experience. The the same security uh, that you're used to and have grown to trust. Um, it it doesn't uh, go beyond those bounds. Uh, then the the web page experience, right? A lot of times you're logged in, you have certain information that gets rendered onto your screen just because of your user segment and because of your login information. Our web SDK sits in there, and there's a lot of intelligence that's tied into your current session uh, to provide that seamless session continuity, whether it's a virtual agent as well as a, a, a human agent. And then finally, um, the ability to take a very traditional old IVR call when someone's calling from their smartphone, the ability to get that opt-in for an SMS. And using that SMS and deep linking technology for the smartphone just completely transforming that experience to not just stay on that very plain analog channel, but bringing that into the blended omni-channel. So that is another uh, aspect of our platform. So what we do is to try and uh, blend these in a fashion where you're getting the most effective outcome. Um, and then you're also optimizing for agent efficiency, peak hour traffic, uh, as well as not asking the questions that you probably already have in the customer record with the deep tie-in into backend systems. Mm, interesting. So, so what do you? Th you mentioned that you alluded there that customers expect this kind of like mobile experience, regardless of the channel of choice and stuff like that. What do you think is driving some of that stuff? I wonder if you can kind of elaborate on what you're seeing from an end, because you mentioned there's three groups, end user, agent, and right. stakeholder, starting with that kind of end user. Yeah. What are some? What do you think is driving those expectations? Is it the fact that Amazon is just so good at, at shopping and people's expectations are shaped from that? That's always been my kind of theory, is that people get used to experiencing an iPhone and the operating system, and therefore your expectations of future operating systems are built off the back of that. Like, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on what do you think yeah. is driving some of this no, expectation great. shift? Very good question, and I think it's just uh, how things have evolved from, uh, I would say, 2006, 2007, when uh, the smartphones just came onto the, uh, the marketplace. And yeah, it's Amazon, it is, it's Google, it's Microsoft, there's just tons. I think it would be very unfair to other brands uh, that we're not pointing them out. But uh, if you look at even something like a Yelp, right, you're going into, at least here in the States, uh, you're going and searching for a restaurant that you've, your, your buddy has told you that it's, it has just amazing sushi. And you go in there and one of the things that you probably trust are the reviews from Yelp and you click on that link, the first thing you see is like, do you want to open this in your app? And mm -hmm. I think that experience, that deep linking experience, which kind of takes that, takes you into the, the, the app experience and then tells you like, hey, this is uh, what, what that looks like. This is how far it is where you're from. And all of that information is just prefetched and provided to you because within the confines of that app, the API hooks that you have, all of those are kind of tying the experience together and that's what you've grown to love, right? And mm -hmm. you can select what you want to share and not want to share. So I don't necessarily think that this is kind of an intrusion to your privacy. It's basically the selections that you're making and there's there's other selections that you might have made that are uh, arguably a lot more um, kind of not uh, not not safe. Uh, however, going back to, to your question, those are the experiences that we have, right? You brought up Amazon. You go to, uh, you look for your favorite uh, football team's uh, jersey and one of the first links that come up could possibly be Amazon or could be a, your favorite shopping uh, site and you click on that and it asks you whether you want to start this experience and in their website ask you to log in in their app ask you to log in if you're not already logged in or log in with your face ID touch ID so that is the experience that we kind of continue to uh, build on and people are digitally acquainted for those experiences and we asked how do our customers use this right I mean let's say you're using a wellness device and you're you're uh, you brought the latest version of that uh, tracker it also has uh, a bunch of different information of how you're sleeping and breathing and what are best practices and uh, you're just not able to use certain aspects of it so when you start that conversation within that app a lot of the metadata, a lot of the information that you're still, that you're kind of already uh, housing within that app uh, is 
kind of taken into depending on the route that you're taking to reach to uh, customer support or to a technician or to your fitness coach. Um, so taking that information without asking like, hey, Kane, did you did you really wake up 10 times last night? And all of that, that information is already there. And getting a snapshot of that is, is really powerful. I'll tell you further examples about uh, travel, which is a perfect um, kind of use case for this. And uh, if you look at it, so let's say you want to, uh, things are getting better in terms of travel, you, you want to go to, um, to Paris, for example. Uh, however, you know that you, you, you also wanted to go to um, build, uh, Brussels. Uh, so you're looking at all of this through the app and then you're, you're like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and book this trip. Um, and or, or, or a, a web page doesn't necessarily just have to be app and you're going through that journey and then you're hitting a, a certain kind of issue and you, you start communicating with the customer support. You're going through, let's say, a chat. Uh, you get connected to a virtual agent and you're using all these, uh, the great technology for uh, recognizing uh, accurate uh, languages, accurate intent and so on and so forth. But the ability to get that deep API calls into what your uh, past several uh, wireframes that you might have traversed and have the virtual agent say like, all right, it uh, looks like I have the information that I need. There was certain, your credit card had expired. That's why we're hitting the snag. Thank you for updating that. Uh, I can go ahead and uh, book the travel to, to Paris. However, I saw that you searched for a route through Brussels. Would you like me to proceed with that instead? I think that is magic. And you provide an experience like that. Uh, that is uh, the sure way of creating customer loyalty. Mm. I can go further with uh, the uh, the financial advisors uh, case or even healthcare case where you're really anxious and you, you're, you want to go in for an x-ray. You're really hoping that you haven't uh, broken your toe because you have a very important football match coming up. And uh, you said you weren't going to mention football, and you mentioned I, it twice so far. I know. <laughs> and it's, it's the winter, winter really gets uh, it's that uh, the, the sports thing going. I mean, you want to be mobile, but you can't be, and uh, that's why those are coming up. You're really hoping that this X-ray turns back negative. You're 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 calling your nearest uh, uh, provider. And they're collecting a bunch of information. Um, but it just feels so, that experience seems so frustrating. They're like, hey, we can't locate. You probably have changed your phone number. We can't locate your account. Uh, the ability not only to accurately recognize that and have the right intent, uh, the right training models, the right uh, kind of just breadth of that particular NLU engine, um, the, the artificial intelligence without intelligent automation, in, in, in our opinion, uh, can be really lackluster. So that is how we're, we're helping our customers, and that's why we're seeing the uh, success in terms of uh, the, our customers' customers' uh, uh, satisfaction ratings uh, mm -hmm. is kind of attributed to that. Interesting. Um, it's interesting because on that customer experience side of things, it's like where you've got, yeah, let's say you've, you, you know, let's use Amazon as the example or whoever else, X, X retailer or X brand that provides a really good customer experience, spends yeah. millions or trillions or whatever it is on, on really thinking about that customer journey and, and nailing that customer experience. And then you go and use, uh, let's bring the football reference in again. Let's say you go and try and buy a football ticket for your local team, right. which is nowhere near the size of company that some of these other companies are. Have nowhere near the level of, um, I would say, maybe technological sophistication, perhaps internal capabilities and skills to be able to provide an experience that is really kind of like what people would expect. I mean, what you're talking about here is like real deep contextual awareness over the current user situation, their previous, immediate previous behavior, past previous behavior, right. a thorough understanding of their in-situ in needs in real time, being able to tailor an experience towards that. This is all stuff that an average organization just doesn't have that level of data. So I'm, I'm curious about one, who is your kind of like ultimate customer and is part of UJet's value in being able to bring that capability to organizations like football clubs who traditionally wouldn't really know where to start with some of this stuff? Yeah, great. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that uh, question uh, to the fore because a lot of times we talk about the end user experience 
and the Asian experience, but we miss out the most important uh, kind of part of the equation, which is the stakeholders, which is the organization, which is probably the IT team, as well as uh, the contact center uh, directors and VPs. Uh, so absolutely, yes, it is not a lost group of focus that we have. And UJET is designed so that the journey for this particular group is also very simplified. Um, the what, what we have set up for uh, bringing these experience to the fore is a very simple modern UI, modern user experience based approach to setting up these queues, setting up the data dips, and setting up the, uh, the just the plumbing to, to these websites. Now, um, football clubs and all of the others, they have made the transition to having their web pages. They have made the transitions to having their mailing lists and so on and so forth. We're, we're not talking about uh, the, the late 90s or the early 2000s where uh, you're still picking up the phone and calling these folks to, like, I'll be at the uh, will call to, uh, window and pick up my ticket. Those those experiences are, are, are yesteryears, right? Today, they already have made that transition, but your question is extremely accurate. It's like, how do these stakeholders take that additional piece and embed it in that user journey, which is right now just being used for notifications or the the end step of purchasing the ticket. So that is, um, uh, so as, as a stakeholder, uh, it's extremely straightforward. You can select whether you want to just um, just modernize your IVR and add that blended layer of uh, SMS components to it, whether you want to use that as an inbound, as outbound, uh, whether you want to use that for any changes in, uh, uh, in in the matches that might have gotten postponed or might have getting rescheduled, all that. But furthermore, blending this experience depending on the situation and the urgency and complexity of that situation, uh, that is what we really uh, provide with our admin portal and user experience uh, that we have taken a lot of care of over there. You do not need a PhD in Visio just to formulate these call flows. Uh, you do not need to understand whether you're hitting dead ends by trying to tr try it out. We have the intelligence built in when an admin goes into their, their admin portal journey to set up these things, which are very, very simple if you look at it at the end. As humans, we are simplistic beings whenever we want to buy something or we want to go to an event. And the ability to take where they left that particular past interaction and where, the, where they're going through. Uh, setting this up is one of the things that we get uh, the most kudos for. Uh, implementation times, where you do not need an army of people to set up something that should be so simple, and we're in 2022 now. Um, so we absolutely take care of that uh, kind of uh, user persona and ensure that what they need and the, the steps that they need to take to go to the, the future state of their contact center. Most of them are not going to be ready to disrupt everything. And like, no, I'm just going to take this and I'm going to get to the 2030 vision that I have of my customer experience, no one's going to do that. And so, so having that deep understanding as product designers, uh, smartphone app creators, user experience developers, that the, the mechanism of CICD, the mechanism of the, 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 the blue-green releases, um, that you can sequentially uh, go step-by-step into these functions, maybe find a logistically separable unit or um, even an agent team that you want to start this with and then flow that into the others. Maybe start off with uh, an overflow system that if you have uh, a group of agents that have been trained to take these conversations from the virtual agent in a seamless manner and see how they are understanding it and whether they are feeling more empowered to solve these questions and then furthermore rolling it out to the rest of the organization. These are things that are out of the box. These are the things if you are on any popular CRMs or if you have a homegrown CRM or if you have your customer data in a specific database that is extremely secure with um, APIs that need to be accessed to get that past state of conversation that you mentioned. All of those things are out of the box. And uh, what we see, uh, the, the folks that are uh, on an implementation session with UJED, uh, they, they greatly love that. And they, they really feel that they can focus more on creating that journey in an effective manner as opposed to just kind of scratching their heads and up. What do I need to do? Uh, and who do I need to define? What timeline am I looking at? Uh, those kind of questions go out of the window.
Mm, interesting. I suppose the art of the possible is sometimes difficult, isn't it? And once you get used to something, it starts uh, taking that incremental stepping stone approach. Is let's learn about this core bit. Okay, what have exactly. you increment? You know, as you kind yeah. of grow, you learn, you develop, and all of a sudden you're, you're deploying pretty sophisticated stuff right. in time. And if I may add, the end-to-end thing matters, right? The, what it allows you to do is because it is not designed as an analog system with voice, and then you kind of have these hacked-on systems for chat or SMS. Because it's designed that the the, the, the routing engine was blended omnichannel from day one, it allows you to see like, hey, I, I sent this to a, a virtual chat first, and but uh, the next time that I took a different agent team and they finished their training and they're they're starting to u- utilize this platform, I had the uh, the voice channel implemented and it did not use a virtual agent. And what did that look like? And what was the sentiment for there? What was the end uh, uh, CSAT, which again is completely deeply embedded within the program? Furthermore, what does the agent gamification system say? Did they take longer longer uh, sessions on voice or chat or SMS, or was it shorter? All of that being a part of the same platform with that same reporting dashboard, your your business intel, your your BI teams, your 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 data scientists can run through these very effectively and then provide you that output. So it's a uh, it's extremely exciting. Mm. You mentioned you've mentioned various NLP components over the last kind of half hour or so. Sentiment analysis you touched on there. You talk about virtual agents, chatbots, voice bots, and you also said I forget the exact phraseology you mentioned, but something like AI without process automation. Is that the phrase? AI without process. Uh, AI without. Uh, uh- Intelligent automation, AI without IA, if you want to play. Yeah, 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 fair enough. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm wondering whether we can shine a bit of light on the role that AI plays within this kind of like omni-channel native customer experience situation. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned our partnership with uh, with Google. One of the things that uh, really uh, excited us about the, the whole platform is uh, the, the AI with, uh, IA, right, with intelligent automation. And we're strong believers that uh, just utilizing AI and intelligence in just particular just pieces or aspects of that journey, uh, yeah, you can you can probably embellish that journey a little bit, but it's, it's not going to lead to a effective and a predictable outcome. So having um, the, the ability to have o- over 3,000 intents, having the ability to have each intent have over 2,000 uh, kind of uh, outcomes and training models that you can attach to, having various different languages and accents that you can uh, kind of take care of so that it really feels like conversational. I think you, you alluded to that at the beginning of this uh, uh, this session, and I think that is super, super important. But then taking that and really very seamlessly being able to fetch that information that you already have in your customer record. Uh, the intelligent automation that goes along with it, uh, the ability to have that particular uh, AI engine look at what those uh, pieces of metadata, whether there's are alphanumerical, whether they're uh, just phrases, taking those and basically amalgamating that into the narrative that you're providing to the end user, I think put, uh, puts the end user uh, with a lot of comfort. And furthermore, um, if I may sidestep a little bit, uh, if you look at uh, where the worst experiences are and where do they start, if you really look deeply why customer experience is so important and the sectors that they're so important, and then you delve down into what are the two top things what people are uh, really getting frustrated. One is because they're not able to use the product or service in a way that it was advertised to them. And two, that they are being charged for something that they did not expect. If you just take these two pieces and apply AI as well as intelligent automation by listening to them. Uh, furthermore, if you delve down and look at independent research, uh, a lot of, I, I would say over 65% of customers felt that they were not listened to before the call. And so w- what we have devices, uh, what we call is pre-session smart actions. Uh, smart actions is our patented system of obtaining this metadata uh, in an effective and automated and secure manner. Uh, these pre-session things, the customer feels like we're listening to them before the conversation is forced upon them because they don't know where to go and they they stop they give up on the social media uh, or DMs and they just call in because they feel that's just the primary way that they can really get a hold of a person. You take that and then you apply these uh, pieces of conversational AI 
you kind of blend all of these together and you still look at the sentiment, you look at whether this conversation is leading to an effective step of what you expect it to go towards. And if you don't see that, bring in that human agent for their experience, empathy, and intuition so that you're not losing this customer because of uh, just not getting a resolution. And what uh, you see is that if, if, the, if you achieve first touch resolution, you can retain that customer over 70% uh, of the time. And in fact, most of them will be repeat uh, uh, buyers or they'll do repeat business with you. Interesting. Um, interesting now. So you mentioned that when you talk about intelligent automation, mm -hmm. are you talking about that example you gave there of like a, 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 an assistant uh, or a virtual agent that is able to look into the, either the UJet platform or piggyback through the UJet platform into a CRM system and extract data that would essentially bring more context or more personalized experience to the customer interaction? Or are you talking about like fulfilling a task and, and automating a process off the back end? Like if someone wants to know why, uh, why was I charged for this thing? One thing would be to run into the system, the system yep. of record, tell them why. That would be yep. one way of automating a question answer kind of thing. But another All form of, of automation, okay, so it's a whole, so it's a whole, it's a whole, whole thing. thing. Yeah, so again, we're strong believers that the urgency and complexity of the situation should dictate uh, a, a, the channel and the platform. Uh, the, the journey as opposed to the other way around. Just because you've only implemented a chatbot does not mean everyone that's going to chat is getting a chatbot and anyone that's getting frustrated and then calling in is getting a human age. Uh, we believe that it is. Uh, it just depends on the urgency and complexity of the situation and how that user is kind of transitioning through that journey. So if you have, let's say you're, you're trying to get a delivery for, let's say, um, for uh, a propane tank, which is uh, something that you might have in your backyard. And you are seeing that you're just not able to get that delivery scheduled. So, um, and for, for whatever reason, the website or the, whichever channel you're trying to reach into is not able to find what the issue is. So, so you end up uh, calling in or you end up clicking on that, uh, that chat bot over there. And they're like, hey, Kane, I, I, uh, I see that you're you're reaching out to us from the uh, scheduling page. Uh, let me go ahead and look at your account. And then they'll find like, hey, the, again, let's just use the same example where your, your credit card's expired or your your new address is outside of our, our uh, delivery zone or should I change your default store where this delivery is coming from or the warehouse where this is coming from. Those things can be done with intelligent automation, with the data dips, with the contextual information that you already have at hand because of our uh, SDK that's at that uh, web page or at, inside that app. And then kind of that conversation continues. And if that is just solving your issue by itself and your sentiment score stays high, there is no need to bring in a human agent. However, if you see that, hey, like I, my credit card is actually updated and uh, there, uh, I'm still not able to, to do this, and they sense that in your sentiment, they sense the words that you're using or the sense, the repetition of the same phrases being made. Sometimes as humans, if we feel someone's not understanding it, we just repeat it and we repeat it in an increasing manner of intensity and volume. Sensing that and then saying like, hey, let me connect you to a, uh, a specialist. And then the specialist finds out just like, hey, uh, sorry, Ken, we just saw that uh, uh, you have, uh, everything looks good. It's just that uh, uh, we needed the, the new CV code or the, the three, three-digit or four-digit code so that we can authorize, put a temporary authorization and then go with the purchase. So it is all of the above and it is driven by the urgency and complexity of the situation. Um, and if you're looking for a pre-certification for a CT scan, you probably want to bring that uh, empathy, that, that human touch sooner than later. If you're looking at uh, wealth management solutions, you maybe want to bring that sooner than later. So the platform allows for all these knobs, right? These are not just course knobs that you turn on and off. These are fine tuning knobs that you really want to understand as a consumer, how would you like to go about the experience? And uh, just use that as a yardstick to measure how you would want to set that experience for your customers. 
That's a really nice way of approaching that because I think that it's a nice to get your perspective on it because sometimes when you know we spend a lot of time talking to technology providers that specialize really in that kind of AI side, the NLP side, and a lot of practitioners that specialize in that as well. Whereas I think that what's missing, I think broadly speaking in that space, I would say it's a massive generalization because it doesn't apply everywhere, but it's that it's that missing link of making every part of a conversation contextual. You know, like as you said, a chatbot is is all well and good, but if a chatbot always begins with "Hi, I'm a chatbot. I can help with this. How, how do you need help?" Uh, but you're already on a product page. You've got stuff in your basket. There's something yeah. that's bothering you about proceeding. Yeah. Then arguably that chatbot should pick up exactly as you described. Okay, I can see you've got these three things in your basket. You're you're almost here. Like, is it is it a problem yeah. with this, this, or this? You know, like and, and making that using the data that's available to make every piece of automated interaction contextual and personalized. Right. And you hit the nail right on the head, right? You you go into that shopping experience and sometimes you they even ask you for multi-factor authorization. What is that code that you see at the bottom of the page? I mean, if you're able to ask that for just one aspect of it then you already know that it is not the deficiency of the web page. It is not the deficiency of that user journey. It is the deficiency of not being able to carry that context and that information and the past wireframes that you have traversed onto your customer support conversation. So yeah, it's, it's extremely important to look at this as an overall experience, as opposed to bits and pieces that you want to hack together to say like, oh, this, this part looks good. And uh, I've just uh, tried to help uh, normalize the, the peak hour curve going into it. Well, guess what? That peak hour curve is going to come after an hour that you expect, because all of these people that are going into that chatbot experience getting frustrated and what you're thinking is deflected are actually not getting resolved. They are just getting deflected and then calling into a primary mode of uh, conversation. So uh, it is important to measure these. And that is why the admin journey that you brought up is so, is so important because they are the ones that are measuring this as well uh, and uh, formulating whether or not uh, the, the sequential step-by-step -step rollout that they're doing is actually making sense to the, the, the audience that they're trying to cater this for. Mm, mm, that's really good. One of the things that um, I can imagine that some of the challenges that organizations might face when they try and do this kind of stuff, because I've come across a lot of them in the past, is that one is availability to, of data. You, you need to have the data somewhere if you're going to do something with it. And right. sometimes, you know, you've mentioned a couple of industries there, you know, banking, healthcare, a lot of those type of organizations have kind of legacy on-prem systems, not really easy to get access to. And I know that you've mentioned kind of like solutions to that. Um, but then the other thing is that this kind of like omni-channel kind of like situation where we're using the, the capabilities of the device that we happen to have at hand to our benefit. For example, a mobile device in an app and being able to send even just something as simple as a screenshot to the person who's on the live chat with you so they can actually see what's going on or or whatever it might be. Kind of, or, or you know, you said you said about checks, you know, sending a picture of a check mm -hmm. or I'm going through a mortgage application right now and I have to go to the solicitor with yeah. physical documents that I've had to go online to, to download and then email to my wife so that she can print it out at work. She then yeah. brings it back and I have to actually physically go down to the office to hand in the paper. And so one of the challenges, especially in that industry, other regulated industries and other organizations with a degree of tradition or culture that have policies in place that would prevent some of this stuff, is that getting the business to a point where it will agree that actually we're happy to send a check in an app or we're happy to yeah. send this proof of ID digitally is also a bit of, an, a, bit of a challenge. I, I'm wondering whether you can shed some light. One, would you agree with those challenges? And have you got any other examples of some of the challenges that organizations might face when they try and do something like this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm just going to go into bits and pieces of information that you just provided there. Mm -hmm. So I, I actually feel that uh, there is, and I, I don't think it is just being lethargic that these organizations are, are, are just being lazy and not doing. I think it is uh, either they've been jaded by past experiences and then uh, also because of uh, data retention and security policies. So like you said, you're downloading these documents. <laughs> it's not like you had these tucked away in your attic somewhere and you had to procure them. You're downloading these. So these are coming from a digital origin point. So they're already either on the cloud or all that. 
the maybe the the urgency of having those uh, documents on the cloud or or in, in a digital manner, whether or not it's an on-prem system that's connected to the internet or not, uh, that has already taken place. I think what's the missing pieces is understanding uh, where these experiences come through. So I'll, 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 I'll give you a couple of uh, ways that our, our customers have either faced this and uh, kind of uh, gone past that. Um, so the understanding the connection points is very important, right? So the end user, again, is very much in the digital era. Like, let's let's agree that that is the actual case. You don't have these documents <laughs> stored somewhere in there. In a so they're already starting from there. The, the agent and advocate or the specialist or the solicitor, all of these, let's let's say that this is the the face of the business entity that you're, you're trying to get the problem solved. Um, they are also connected to a computer. It's, it's very unlikely that this person is not in front of a computer or doesn't have access to a computer. Uh, so, so they already are. So I think the missing piece is the connection between them. And uh, that is why we, we strongly emphasize that when you're looking for a customer experience provider, you're not just looking for someone to make these two endpoints meet because they, when they try to just connect these two uh, user personas, they're just literally connecting them. And they're just connecting them and their sales pitch is like, we have connected this in the past. That's why you should connect this. Well, guess what? The, the, the human interaction has changed since you last updated your stack or rewrote it for the cloud. Uh, it, it is a completely new interaction model. So I think that is where the deficiency is. The second one, if I may, uh, is the not just uh, the product and engineering or the UX side of it, but it's also the business side of it. Some of these organizations, because they came from a very metered um, stack in the past, from the, the, the 90s or the early 2000s, their business side is forced to go with a metered approach. So everything that they do is metered. They do not want it to be a take, a, uh, take that PDF that you downloaded from here. Uh, do you want to send this to a solicitor because I see you're in the middle of a mortgage uh, application process? Sometimes they just don't want that because they're missing the metered charge that they can get when you're trying to communicate <laughs> with this person. And that solicitor might be might be on the phone if you if you especially during COVID times when you can't go in person. Uh, that hey, here's an email. Send it to me. So your your start point is digital. Your end point is digital, <laughs> but your connection point is not. It is because you're selecting a stack that is coming from the era of just very unidimensional communication, and they're trying to milk that because that's the only way that they know how to kind of set up the journey, and the only way they know how to charge for it. And a lot of times they become their own enemies because if this is the majority of your business is the metered business you're going to have a strong lobby for not going into the digital way and you don't even know how to charge for it. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we're kind of working with our, our partners and uh, amplifying is that your use, your usage models have changed as consumers. Your the people that are providing these solutions, their usage and consumption models have changed. They're not going into a back office in a cer certain particular office building and looking through files and seeing like, oh, is this Kane Sims? Is this matching his uh, license uh, that was issued 20 years ago? No, all of these things are already digitized. So you need to really find ways of providing that same experience and not try to circumvent the absolute deficiency you have on the connection channel because that is the only thing that is not truly digitized. Mm, mm, that is so interesting. And it's like, I mean, the pipeline that you create from starting digitally and moving it into analog and then go, going digital again, it's just the amount of security holes in that are unbelievable. And then when yeah. you actually get there, you actually get to the solicitor's office and they don't even look at it. They don't even look at the, the ID that you've got and all that kind of stuff. It wouldn't have made a difference. And then I think part of it, half, half of the issue is that obviously the people that you actually deal with are people that work as solicitors and not the owners and stakeholders at a senior level of the business. And you're right, incentives are definitely aligned with time-based revenue. Um, right. and, so, and so there's no incentive when there's a, such a kind of like um, – what is it? Such a status quo that's embedded in such incumbent providers that have an interest in keeping things the same. But inevitably, as has happened with every other industry so far, 
change happens, doesn't it? Transformation comes, some disruptor comes from nowhere and they've been built on digital business models and they reinvent the whole situation. Precisely. It happened with it happened with the music industry. They couldn't figure mm-hmm. out how to charge for what they have. And all of a sudden, you know, things, things move, yeah. things change. The same thing happens with all kinds of different industries where, you know, the, the value that is exchanged changes because technology disrupts what that exchange or transaction should be in the future. Right. And technology then facilitates a more efficient way of doing it. And then how do you charge for something that is now quicker, easier, and simpler when the assumption is that quick, easy, and simple is free because I've got access to it right here on my device, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah, it's yeah, interesting. It's a, very, it, it's, it's, it's a very multidimensional kind of problem. It, it, it not, not only is it a the multidimensional thing that you're trying to solve in the human interaction aspect, but also how are you going to charge it from the business aspect, right? You, you, can, you just cannot uh, get to... A point where it's like no that's just not something that we're going to charge for because that is what people expect right you bring up the music industry and and the way music consumption has changed and it was considered sacrilege that oh you're providing these uh well the first thing was like you're providing uh the chorus of the song to listen and maybe people would just find a way to download that and listen to that again and everyone knows like all of these things that uh these are all funny stories to talk right now, but these were real uh, blockers in, in business meetings uh, several years ago. So uh, I, I think that, yeah, there's either uh, these stakeholders, they have been jaded. They've tried certain solutions that are like hacked on solutions to their, their base platform and they don't work as seamlessly. Uh, frustration in the agent uh, solicitor uh, specialist technician group is extremely high. And they stop using it because they're like, you know what? I'm just going to ask these people to bring that in. I already have the copy. I know that they're coming in. I have a copy of their records on my computer. I'm just going to match those. So I think enabling that end-to-end experience with the security, with the seamlessness is extremely important because we're impatient beings, right? I mean, you, you look at the products and services that we use, we are going to transition from things that are very laborious, that take a lot of time and are cumbersome. And then it's inevitable. Uh, And there's a lot of things that companies think, and specifically certain sectors where they're like, the the customer's captive. Well, the customer might be captive, but you look at the services that they have added on, you look at how their lives have changed and the multitude of things that they're buying and purchasing and, and using, and you might have that customer retention as an account, but the value of that account, the long-term value of that account, and the actual uh, uh, spend on that account might have gone down quite a bit because mm-hmm. there are aspects of your business that are so backwards that they're they're maintaining their account. They might just do their check deposit, uh, salary deposit with you, but everything other than the value-based services, the LTV services that you're investing on, they're not subscribing to because they have found a better way of uh, a better company to do business with. So that's mm-hmm. something that we also try and uh, uh, talk to our customers is like, not only understand that just an account retention doesn't mean anything, what is the LTV? And that is why these travel sites uh, give you 3x uh, of points when you're booking through your mobile app because that is where they know is the most convenient, the most elegant way of uh, consuming their product and services. And they want to transition you over there while they're working on getting the end-to-end pieces together from their analog and on-prem infrastructure. But at the same time, these on-prem systems and these databases, they are getting connected to the information highway through the internet. So having a platform that will do these data dips really obey all of the the security, the regional um, kind of uh, regulations is also extremely important because that is why some of these might have gotten jaded in the past is like they're not following the CCPA, they're not following the GDPR, they're not following the uh, Mm opt-ins for SMS and uh, websites. Uh, And that is, that's just, that's not negotiable, right? So then you can't fault the people to make the decisions that they have made in the past where you're just not uh, divulging that information. And when you don't divulge that information, there is no security hole. So a lot of aspects are really important. And I think it's uh, it's unfair to place the blame on um, 
uh, on a particular uh, aspect of it. And essentially that is why the architecture of platforms end-to-end, -end, considering all these three different personas, uh, becomes just, um, it, it's indispensable. Unless you consider all of those three, you're not gonna have a success rate that you're envisioning. Mm -hmm. I suppose the same would be true advice for if you're not even thinking about platforms or technology, but you're thinking about the program itself, a digital transformation program needs to involve those three kind of stakeholders. And I think you also, you know, would it, would it be a fair, would it be a fair assumption to hypothesize that the industries that, and, and it, Firstly, to piggyback on actually what you were saying, that definitely I'm definitely a believer that everybody makes the right call at the time based on you know that agile manifesto principle of everyone makes the right decision at yeah. the time based on their knowledge, experience, and resources. And so a lot of industries like that that we've been talking about are actually in fact heavily regulated, and so there's little little wriggle room in places as well. Yeah. Um, but would it be a fair assumption or a fair hypothesis to make that some of the industries that are perhaps lagging behind as far as this kind of like customer experience automation would be those regulated industries like maybe uh, property or, or solicitors or legal or uh, insurance potentially, although there's some good, good stuff happening there. And the or the industries that are pushing it forward are the ones that are perhaps more obviously driven by commercial incentives around retention and stuff like that retail you've mentioned travel a few times where there is definitely a repeat purchase and a kind of higher customer lifetime value potential is that a fair assumption or is there any curveballs that you would throw into that kind of yeah I, of I think it is a trend um i think it is just a trend that uh, and a greenfield is always going to be a little bit easier because you don't have to uh, get uh, a sample size uh, that's strong enough to, to knock over the status quo, right? So um, I, I do feel that sometimes, though, that these heavily regulated industries and all that, um, they are more comfortable. Um, they are just more comfortable till they see their, their business slipping away, and then that's when they really jump into it. Um, and when they really dig down deep into, like, we've really not lost that many users, but our earnings are, are down. Or why are they... Uh, we see a bunch of our users really re requesting a plugin or using this particular plugin to this particular service. So I think there's it's it's not just one. Uh, it, it can be a blanket statement that uh, it's just the regulated industries that are doing. Arguably, mobile check deposit came from the most regulated industry. So it is. It, I think it is just um, the um, the focus. There, there needs to be focus on understanding like why are so many neobanks uh, getting the attention that they're getting? Why is there so much disruption in the financial industry? Why is there so much disruption in healthcare? A lot of times it is because you're looking at aspects of your business that are, are very superficial. You're just looking at the top line where it's like, oh, one line segment says that uh, you're not losing customers, but is, is their spend really going up or is it going down? Uh, what are they using there? Are their online purchases something that they're using your account for? Maybe not because you just don't have the plugin into Apple Pay, Android Pay, uh, stuff like that. So I, I definitely feel there is a little more um, roadblocks um, and a little more um, kind of uh, work to be done for whoever is embarking on this journey of providing um, a, a, an amazing state of customer experience uh, at these heavily regulated industries. But at the same time, I think the InfoSec teams have already gone through the same digital acquaintance phase that they have allowed for the, you to log into your mobile apps with the Touch ID, Face ID, Pattern on Android, and so on and so forth. So if they have already done that, and if you're trying to change something, you're trying to make a payment, and they've al allowed you to go through that with that simple user experience manner, it's it's not true that they are the blockers. They just mm -hmm. need to see that there is enough evidence that you're not going to see a unencrypted copy of this particular invoice out on <laughs> the, the ether and uh, that uh, your, your practices are really strong. Um, and a lot of times also the companies that are providing these solutions, they evolve from just serving very unregulated SMB businesses and then they're trying to go after enterprise. I think that is also something that uh, entrepreneurs and a lot of people can uh, 
think I think about is that if you are going to go for enterprise, you should really have that. And, um, and not to toot our own horn, but we had SOC 2 type 2 certification even before we had a website. We had HIPAA mm -hmm. and SOC 2 uh, in the first 29 months of existence. So um, we were very much focused on going to enterprise, and uh, that's how we, we kind of went that. And the beauty of that is all of that is translatable to mid-market and SMB. So um, because even mid-market and SMB today have to completely adhere to the GDPR requirements, the data retention requirements, the CCP requirements here in California. Uh, so we strongly felt that it wasn't time wasted to put in security as a foundational piece of the platform, as opposed to just getting quickly out to market. Um, and, uh, and time will tell how that uh, success looks like. Mm, interesting. Well, I think it's a sound approach, isn't it? To basically make the thing bulletproof. And if you can make it bulletproof and you can sell to very large, kind of very strict organizations, then it's just like a, it's a no brainer for the smaller companies, isn't it? Oh, right. Oh, what you mean you've sold to such and such and such and such and you've got all of those kind of uh, situations in place. It kind of yeah, makes it. It's a combination. I, I do feel that it's the early adopters. It is the people that matter, right? It is the mm -hmm. people that are focused on that user experience, whether they're small companies or big companies. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were the first in the industry that said like, yeah, we're not going to store your recordings. And that really put a lot of uh, the, the CISOs, uh, the security architects at ease and like, oh, okay, so where would you mm -hmm. like, it's your choice. Well, you do, well, you do transcribe them all. Is it an option yeah, to store them all? We can transcribe them and have either it as an attachment uh, to your CRM uh, customer record and that take it up inside the confined environment that uh, goes with the rules and permissions of how long the agent can see it and not how the audit teams have access to it. So your operational logistics don't change at all. Or if there is a regulation that this needs to be at a media server at this particular location, we pipe that in into that media server if it needs to be in a uh, a multimedia format. So I think things like that, where you don't just get so hyper-focused on like, oh, but I can charge for these recordings so much after retaining them for three months, and there's no way that this company can get out of it. Uh, I think that mindset is also something that um, uh, that we'll see people come, come around to. And it's like, what is really important here? Is it providing great customer experience where you can start selling more and more of the stack to them? Or you have this like almost extortion revenue by mm -hmm. keeping these, uh, and yes, it's a cash cow, but uh, are, is that a value added service as opposed to a, a service that uh, soon will be replaced? Exactly. Yeah, that, that's a one-way ticket to nowhere, isn't it? It's, it's like uh, I was reading a story about how the, the, micro, the, the McDonald's um, milkshake machines always break. Because they're only provide they only only in the contract. There's one company that can provide them, and there is a known problem with them that only an engineer that is, that works at that company can fix. And it turns out that something like forty percent of that company's revenue comes from repairs. And so it's the incentives, the incentives, how the incentives align for the incumbents is often, uh, you know, the thing, isn't it? But yeah, definitely that that it sounds as though what you're onto is basically a more ethical. Uh, disruptive business model because there's incumbents right now that do call recording and storage and charge with that kind of stuff. So it's disruptive, but it's yeah. ethical at the same time, which is quite, which is quite nice. Yeah. I mean, we, we want to provide value based services. We want to provide services that are very, very much looking at user experience and security as the foundational principles. Um, because we are in a day and age, where people do not want to read manuals. Gone are the days when you're like, hey, the, the implementation uh, fees are this much and they're so large because our technology is so complex that it's going to take six months for training, implementation, and all that. Well, well guess what? People are going to see through that. Uh, it's not. Uh, we are at a time where, especially in this sector, that the technology is there. And as a technologist, I feel that this is one of the very rare instances where I am building something that is adapting to a behavioral change that has happened almost 14 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's just that the, the sector has been a little bit void of user experience um, and uh, looking at selling value added services as opposed to just connectivity services. Mm, interesting. I love it. I love it. Anand, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been enlightening. I knew it would be enlightening, but it has been more enlightening than perhaps I would have expected. Uh, it's been fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, where can people go to to learn more about UJet and find out a bit more about what you do and, and perhaps uh, get their hands on the technology? 
Yeah, so you can go to ujet.cx. Uh, I know with this lighting, it's a little bit poor, but uh, ujet.cx, and uh, there's uh, yeah, there are solutions for every shape and size of, of businesses. Uh, the beauty of customer experience is that you are in the end catering to customers. We are all consumers and customers. Uh, so uh, please go to our website and see which of the aspects of our technology, which our technological stack, our user experience really resonate with you. And uh, yeah, the hyper-personalized journeys are what we are in to provide as opposed to just um, a particular package. Uh, I think uh, I touched on the business side of it and the simplicity of doing business uh, is also what we focus on. And as a result, uh, you can look at our uh, G2 uh, crowd reviews where um, we've been rated uh, in the highest uh, in customer satisfaction, ease of doing business for the last seven quarters. Wow. Nice. That's impressive. Well, Alan, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you everyone for joining us, whether you're tuning in on LinkedIn, YouTube, or listening back on the podcast. Uh, do check out ujet.cx. Really cool domain name, that ujet.cx. I didn't realize you could get a CX domain name. That's a nice, uh, yeah, nice little hack there. I have to try and find one for VUX, VUX.CX. Uh, but check out, uh, I'm going to say VUX.CX there. Check out UJet.CX, uh, definitely, to learn more. Uh, and we'll put uh, links in the show notes. We'll stick Alan's LinkedIn and stuff like that in there. Alan, and if you're happy to connect with anyone who, who wants to learn more. That would be great. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you, everyone. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. And uh, if you're not yet subscribed, do go to vux.world forward slash subscribe if you want to get one invites to these live broadcasts, two, the recaps of these broadcasts, and three, industry insights and analysis in the field of customer experience automation with a particular focus on natural language processing technologies and artificial intelligence technologies. That is me and Anand. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next Tuesday when we'll be speaking to Scott Stevenson, CEO of DeepGram, all about the speech recognition revolution. They've just released a new study uh, with a whole bunch of new data, so we're going to be looking at speech recognition use cases, accuracy, AI ethics, and the value that that provides. So do join us next Tuesday. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, see you soon.